Well, good evening, you guys, and uh, welcome. Um, we're going to take a break from our Leviticus study once again. I'm not actually really sure when we're going to get back to Leviticus, but tonight what I thought we would do is, um, since we just celebrated Easter on Sunday, um, I'm going to do kind of a post-Easter message, and this is really just born out of what the Lord was kind of working in my heart as I was reading through the resurrection stories and the Gospels, and I just kind of got stuck in a good way um, in a pretty familiar passage out of John 20. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can open to John chapter 20, and we're going to look at verses from 19 through 29. It's about 10 verses or so. And like I said, it's a pretty familiar story. And kind of by way of introduction, I just want to kind of maybe preload it with this, is I love Jesus. <laughs> That's kind of a no-brainer. No but one of the things I love about Jesus is that he works with us. And what I mean by that is, is that Jesus doesn't kick us to the curb or, you know, discard us when we blow it or when we mess up or when we go through some kind of personal crisis or lack of faith. And that's kind of going to get played out here in the life of a guy named Thomas, who we're pretty familiar with. He's known as Doubting Thomas. We're going to address that. But he's really having a personal crisis. And what I love about this is that Jesus meets him in that. He doesn't slam him, doesn't, like I said, kick him to the curb. He meets him right where he's at. And maybe you're going through something like that tonight. And I just want to encourage you that the Lord, he'll work with you. He's, he knows what you're going through. He understands. And he wants to meet you in the middle of that. So why don't we pray, and then we're going to go ahead and jump in to John 20. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's always such a privilege, honestly, to open the Bible and to think that we're, we're opening the eternal inerrant, inspired, authoritative word of God. And it's humbling. And Lord, honestly, unless you give us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the ability to understand, a lot of times it's just like words on paper. We don't get it. So illuminate it for us. Help us to see it tonight. And I just pray that you would speak a, a specific word to each person who's listening or watching. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the scene I'm talking about is um, going to start with, actually we're going to look at two scenes tonight dealing with Thomas. The first one, he's not actually there. It's, it's going to be that post-resurrection evening, the actual night of the resurrection. And then um, a week later when he's with the boys and uh, Jesus appears again. So let me just start and eventually we're going to end up on Thomas, but there's lots of little nuggets along the way that I want to explore and look at. So let's just get into the story, get some kind of setting. Um, this is John 20, verse 19. It says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Just in that one sentence, there's actually a lot of information. First of all, I want you to notice it says, on the evening of that day, what day? The day, resurrection day. And I'm just Think for a moment, kind of rewind and put yourself back into that scene, just the emotional roller coaster and the craziness of that weekend and then that morning when they thought Jesus had been murdered and on the cross and buried in the grave and all of their hopes are down the drain. And, and notice what it says. They're, that evening, kind of holed up in this room with the doors locked. Why are they in there with the doors locked? Well, we don't have to guess. It says right here, the doors were locked. Why? For fear of the Jews. 
Jesus, their leader, the king of the Jews, had just been accused of high treason by Rome and killed. And the Jews who kind of, um, when I say Jews, I mean the religious leaders of that day who kind of made that happen out of their jealousy and their envy, man, it was a very real thing that they would go after Jesus's followers next. They didn't know what was gonna happen. So they're freaking out. They're scared. They're literally holed up in this room, doors locked, But this is what it says. Um, It says they were there for fear of the Jews. And notice this. And Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. First of all, you can't even read this without at least making notice of the fact that the doors were locked. The door was shut. It was locked. And Jesus wasn't in the room when they shut the door and locked it. But all of a sudden, bam, he's in the room with them. And what's crazy about that is he's there bodily, physically. In fact, in Luke's, Uh, account of this. He's like, it's me, guys. And I'm paraphrasing clearly. He says, it's me. Don't, do you have any fish? Do you have any stuff I can eat and show you that it's actually physically really me? So that just creates a whole bunch of questions as to the nature of Jesus's resurrection body where he can evidently go through walls and yet eat food. And just an amazing thing. But that aside, more importantly, perhaps, Jesus, it says, came and he stood among them. Now listen, I don't want you to miss this. This is actually something I think that is so simple, it can be missed. He says, peace be with you. He's actually going to end up saying that twice. Peace be with you. That was a common greeting of the day, right? Peace be with you. But to them, in that moment, right then, it was way more than that. Because in their heart, in their lives, in their experience in the moment, They were experiencing anything but peace. I've already alluded to it. I've already kind of mentioned it. But you guys, think about what these guys have been through. They're absolutely fearful. We know that for sure because it says it right there in the text. They're they're scared. And I don't know if you've been in a place when you're scared and, and you just can scramble and you go places in your mind where you shouldn't go and you react in ways you you normally wouldn't react. They're hiding, they're scared, they're on edge. But not only that, clearly they would have been confused. They didn't understand the big picture. They didn't get why Jesus had to die. They knew he was the king, but they were extremely ignorant of this idea of him coming once to die for our sins, raising from the dead, ascending, and then coming back again a second time. That was not clear to them yet. So in their mind, they're absolutely confused. They've pinned all of their hopes and dreams on this man who's now dead, but now rumors that he's alive. So, I mean, they're just, they don't know what to think. No doubt they're fearful, they're confused, they're frustrated. They're just in this crazy, crazy place. And then Jesus comes into the room and he says, peace, peace be with you. Guys, when Jesus comes in the room, peace comes into the room. When Jesus comes into the situation, peace comes into the situation. Why? Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Now, as I'm talking to you and you're listening or watching, we find ourselves in you know, obviously a very, 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 very different scenario or situation that, that these guys found themselves in. But nonetheless, as a nation, as a world right now, man, we're in, in, in uncharted territories with the whole COVID-19 thing and like 80% of the world population on lockdown. So many questions about economy and health and, and all these things. And I think it's easy to say with certainty 
that many, many people listening right now or watching right now, you are feeling maybe a lot like these guys. Fearful, frustrated, uh, confused. What's gonna happen with my, you know, my job? What's gonna happen with my family? You know, what, and just all of that consternation and maybe it's eating you up tonight. Um, and maybe it's got you in a place in your head that maybe it's not a healthy place. I, I was talking to somebody this week. I just ran into him, a, a lady from our church, and I just looked at her. I said, how are you doing? And she had a classic answer. She said, when I keep my eyes on Jesus, I'm doing great. When I don't, I get in the flesh. And I thought that was a very appropriate answer and probably true of all of us. But here's what I want to just encourage you with. And it's not the main point, but it's, I think, an important one is that when, where Jesus is, there's peace. And you can, listen, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the confusion and, and not knowing what's next and all that, you really can experience the peace of Jesus Christ right now in your life. And I wanna give you a bit of a smorgasbord, just kind of a buffet style of, of verses on peace. Trust me, there's many, many more than this, but these are a couple I just picked out and I just wanna read them and let them marinate a little bit. Just think them through. Maybe jot them down and look at them later. Here's a couple of, of, of verses. John 14, 27. And this is when Jesus told his guys that he's leaving and they were all confused. He says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Peter, in his greeting, in his second letter, he says this, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's First Peter, or excuse me, Second Peter 1, 2. In 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Paul says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. I like this one, Colossians 3.15. This one spoke to my heart in a huge way. I remember when I was in high school, and long story, but I was all upset about some school stuff and my grades and just a lot of things that were going on in my life at the time. And I literally stumbled upon this verse and it just, I remember the night. I, I, I remember where I was in my room when I read this. It says this, let the peace of God rule in your heart. And then finally, one more verse. This is the, the go-to, right? The classic one, Philippians 4, verses six through eight, seven says, don't be anxious about anything, but with all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and listen to this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So guys, I just want to encourage you tonight. Where Jesus is, there's peace. And if you're a believer in Christ, he's in your heart. And if you find yourself all agitated and worried and anxious, that's really, it's just not God's will for us to live in that space. And I would encourage you right now, just stop, even if you gotta press stop on this thing that you're watching or listening on and just say, Lord, would you come and just bring your peace right now into my situation? And he will. In fact, let me just pray for you right now. Lord, I pray right now that whatever my brothers and sisters are going through, that a flood of your peace would just come in. And Lord, a peace not like the world gives, but that only you can give. You are the prince of peace. And I just pray you would flood, I, that word just keeps coming up, flood my brothers and sisters with that wonderful, wonderful peace that only you can bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's keep moving along with the story. 
So what happens is Jesus comes in, peace be unto you. Now check this out, verse 20, it says, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I, that's, by the way, that little last sentence, it's gotta be one of the greatest um, understatements in the Bible. Because it you know, kind of reads like, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The word means they were overjoyed. They were freaking out. When they saw Jesus, they were like blowing up. Yes! One of the things I love about that, by the way, you know why they were glad? It wasn't because all of a sudden when they saw Jesus, all their doctrine made sense. Oh yes, now I understand the doctrine of the resurrection. They were just glad because they were with their Jesus, the man that they loved, their Lord. And, and that's just a reminder for us. You know, sometimes we can just get so caught up in doctrine and we should know our doctrine and we should absolutely have our theology down. But Christianity is not primarily a theology. It's not a doctrine. It's a relationship with the risen Savior. And these guys love Jesus. But it's actually the phrase before that I want to touch on too. It says, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I'm sorry, um, before that. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Now, tune in for a second. If you know what's coming in the story, this is going to come up. These are the same proofs that Thomas is wanting from Jesus when he shows up. He's going to want to see his hands. He's going to want to see the scars. He's going to want to see his side. But what's fascinating to me, the very things that later Thomas is going to want to see, had he been there with these guys, he would have seen it. And I don't want to go too far onto this, but I want to say this because I think it's important. Especially in times of personal crisis, confusion and fear and things like that, there can be a tendency. And I'm not, again, I'm, there's not a harsh tone in my voice towards Thomas by any stretch of the imagination. Who am I? But there can be a tendency when we're going through personal crisis or what have you to kind of forsake the gathering of the brothers. Now, we're all unable to gather right now, and that's a different circumstance. But when things hopefully come back to normal and you're able to get with small groups or go into your church family, there can be a tendency when you're going through your personal crisis to kind of say, well, I just need some me time. I just need to get away and figure this out. And there is something to be said for isolation and being alone with the Lord, and that's good. But be careful not to isolate yourself from the gathering of the saints. God has designed us to be in community. And so often, the very thing I'm hungry to see and need to see um, is found when? When I gather with other believers. And through a teaching or through a word of prophecy or some other gift of the Spirit, so many times the Lord will meet me. So again, I don't want to make a federal case out of it, but it's just interesting to me that the very thing he was wanting to get or needed so badly, he could have experienced had he been there. Again, well, let's, let's just move on. Verse 22. Now it says, um, excuse me, verse 21. Then Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, uh, it is withheld. Some interesting phrases there and actually uh, an opportunity to go on many different rabbit trails. I just want to say this about that. Jesus says to them, peace to you again. And then notice this. He says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He breathed on them. And at that moment, those disciples received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, just to mention it, I don't want to go off on it, where he says after that, if you forgive people's sins, they're forgiven. If you withheld, they're withheld. Um, don't think that he's giving them the authority to 
get in between somebody's relationship with God and say, you're forgiven, you're not forgiven. It's more of a ministry of proclamation. If somebody repents, they can say, your sins are forgiven. If they refuse to, they, they, they can proclaim your sins are not forgiven. And that's maybe a whole nother topic for another day. But before we move on, I do want to just, again, notice a couple of things. Jesus said something fascinating here. It's huge. It's kind of a game changer. He says, even as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And it harkens back actually to his prayer, the great high priestly prayer, John 17, verse 18, says this. As you, and he's praying to the Father, so as you, Father, sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I want to just remind you of something. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are sent. You're a sent person. What does that mean? We have all been sent by the Lord. What do you mean sent? Well, we'll think of it in terms of being a missionary. And, and, and right away, people are like, well, I'm not one of those Christians. I'm not one of that you know, caliber or species of Christian. I'm just like garden variety Christian. Listen, if you're a believer in Christ, every single one of us, we have been sent by the Lord, sent into this world. That doesn't necessarily mean you leave where you live. You could live in the same town the rest of your life. But the idea is we are to live in a way that is sent. We're to live on mission, as missionaries. In fact, do you remember the first missionary ever sent out by Jesus? It's in the book of Mark, chapter five. He was possessed by demons, living in the tombs. And Jesus delivers him, and he's clothed and in his right mind. Remember what happened? Jesus was getting in the boat, and he's like, can I go with you? And he's like, no. Instead, he says, go home and tell everybody the great things that God has done for you. Guys, he was sent, where? Home, to his, the people that knew him to just be a testimony to the life-saving power of Jesus Christ. So I just want to encourage you, hey, you know, even though we're on lockdown, live sent in your home, in your community. When this, all, this thing lifts, man, just be sent. Live that way. Live as a missionary right where you are. And if God chooses to move you on, man, go for it. Again, I, I, I get fired up in verses like that. It's, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. I'm very tempted to go into a very wonderful doctrinal um, a couple of things there, but we'll just say right now that when he breathed on them and said, receive the spirit, at that moment, that's when they were indwelt. For you and I, it works differently. Ephesians 1 verses 13 and 14 says, when we heard the word of our salvation and we believed that we were sealed with the spirit of, of, of truth, I, I'm probably misquoting it, but the idea is, is that we were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the moment you put your faith in Christ, you're born again. You're born of the spirit and he comes into your life. Now, we could talk more about that. We won't. Let's move on. That's kind of um, the end of scene one, if you would. There's like the thing, come down, cut. Scene one's over. Now we're going to fast forward quickly to a week later. Um, A week goes by, and uh, they are once again gathered together. Let's pick it up in verse 24, and we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty. It says in verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin was not with them when Jesus came, referring to the week earlier. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand on his side, I will never believe. Now this is, this is fascinating. Thomas, he wasn't there. So the other guys were telling him. 
But let's just back up for a minute. I, I want to just do a very quick little bio on Thomas. What do we know about this guy? We actually don't know a lot about him. We know this. Right here it says he was one of the 12. In fact, if you go to uh, Matthew 10, uh, verse 3, if you go to Mark chapter 3, verse 18, somewhere right in there, where it's listing where Jesus is naming his disciples or rather calling the 12, there's Thomas, kind of right in the middle of the pack, one of the 12. We know this, he had a twin. I have a friend named Isaiah. He's got a twin brother. Anyways, um, he's called the twin. And uh, this is another couple little things that we know about Thomas. And this is important, I think. He pops his head up, if you would, first in John's gospel in chapter 11. The context is this. Um, Jesus' friend Lazarus is sick and is dying. You guys remember this? He, they come to him, hey, Jesus, the one you love, he's gonna die and Jesus stays longer. And, and, and then he's explaining to his guys, his friends, he's like, hey, Lazarus is sick. Um, he's sleeping actually, I'm gonna go wake him up. And they, they had two objections. They said, number one, wait a minute, Jesus, pump the brakes. The last time you were there, um, they were trying to kill you and they're plotting to kill you now. Uh, it's not good that you go. And he kind of deals with that. Their second one was this. They said, well, if he's sleeping... That's great. Maybe guy just needs some rest. Just let him sleep. Then Jesus deals with that. He says, look, he's not actually sleeping, sleeping, sleeping. He's dead. And I'm going to go wake him up. And then listen to what Thomas says. Thomas pipes up there in chapter um, 11 of John, verse uh, 16. It says this. So Thomas said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we might die with him. I gotta be honest, there, I've read that passage many, many times and I, it's confused me. Like, what is Thomas talking about? Is he talking about going and dying with Lazarus? I used to think that, but that doesn't make sense. What is he saying? Thomas is actually saying something pretty bold. He's saying, look, if Lazarus is dead and Jesus wants to go heal him, but Jesus is putting his life, his neck on the line by even going there because they want to kill Jesus, then guys, Let's go and go die with him. What's he saying? Whatever happens to Jesus is gonna happen to me because wherever Jesus is going, that's where I'm going. And that tells me something about Thomas. It tells me he was fiercely loyal to Jesus, committed. He was brave. He wasn't just some halfway in guy. This guy was all in. He kind of reminds me of one of those guys, he doesn't say a lot, but when he says something, you wanna listen. Another time that he pipes up is... Uh, Later on in John chapter 14, classic passage, Jesus is dropping the bomb on his disciples and saying, hey, I'm, I'm going away, but I'm gonna prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And he goes on and he says this, he says, um, I will come again, I will receive you to, my, where, to myself that where I am, you may be also. And listen to this, Jesus says, and you know the way um, where I'm going. And then it says in verse five, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And that, by the way, set up the classic response where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But here's what I love about that. And it, again, the reason I'm going through this is I think it gives us a glimpse into who Thomas is. Jesus says, you know the way of where I'm going. And I can almost see it in my mind's eye of Thomas just looking around like the, at the guys like, we don't even know where you're going. Like, how do we even know the way? 
Like, I can almost envision all the other disciples like, yeah, amen, amen, Lord. But they had no idea what he was talking about. Thomas was the only one who pipes up and says, Lord, I don't know what the heck you're even talking about. Here's why I like that. It tells me that Thomas is a straight shooter. There's no pretense in this guy. He's not playing games. He's, he's like very upset about the fact that Jesus might move on. And he's like, look, I don't want to play games. Where are you going? And I like that about Thomas. One of the 12, called the twin, fiercely loyal, brave, a straight shooter, no pretense. Again, the reason I kind of paint that picture of Thomas is because of what comes next in our story. Back to John 20. They came to him. They said, we saw him. We saw Jesus. We saw Jesus. Did you guys notice how passionate his response was? He says, look, unless I see the marks from the nails and I put my finger in it, unless I see the scar on his side and put my hand on it, listen to this language. It says this, I will never believe. In the Greek, and I'm not a Greek scholar by any stretch. I just do a little homework. It's emphatic. It says, never, no, never. (laughs) I will never, no, never believe unless this happens, unless I see, unless I touch. And this is where we get the phrase doubting Thomas. This is, poor Thomas, he gets, he gets pinned with this, this title for the rest of eternity probably, doubting Thomas. But I doubt the title, doubting Thomas. I mean, I guess we could ask the question, why did he respond so emphatically like that? Why did he say, I will not believe. I won't unless I can touch him, feel him, see him. Well, there's a couple of possibilities. I'm not pretending to explore every possibility, but let me just give you one. Number one, it could very well be, and I'm sure part of it is, that it was part of his nature and his makeup to be a bit skeptical. Maybe he is a little bit of a doubting Thomas in the sense that he, he doesn't just take um, people's words for a thing. And that can be good, It can be okay to have that kind of um, mentality where you kind of take a hard, good look at things before you make a decision. But listen, I don't think Thomas was lacking any evidence that would keep him from believing. Here's what I mean by that. Number one, Thomas heard Jesus three different times say to them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, and I will raise again. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, I'm gonna raise again. I'm going to, he told his disciples, recorded at least three times in the New Testament. He had the word of Jesus. Secondly, he had the empty tomb. The tomb was empty. They already inspected, it was gone. Third and most compelling, he had the eyewitness testimony, not of just strangers off the street. These are his compadres. These are like his best friends. The other 10 disciples, the women, the, the guys that were on the road to Emmaus, they all came back like, we saw Jesus. And Thomas is like, no. No, 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 I'm not gonna believe it. He's disregarding the word. He's disregarding the empty tomb and he's disregarding these eyewitness accounts. So I, I'm sure there is some healthy goods, doubting skepticism in there somewhere. But to me, it's way more of a matter of the will, volition. He says, I will not believe. Not that I'm not capable of believing. He's saying, I'm not going to believe. Which brings up, another possibility of why he was so emphatic about it. One of the other things might be this. It might be that he was a skeptic. Okay, we'll give that. Number two, it could be because he was a wounded soldier. 
Here's what I mean by that. I will never believe. Again, that strong, strong language. I, I read some by uh, G. Campbell Morgan, one of my favorite Bible commentators. And he, he made one little statement that just popped in, in my mind when he said it. He said, this is the language of a man in anguish. This is the language of a man who's in anguish, who's hurt. Think about what we know about him. Fiercely loyal, bold. A guy who's no pretense, a straight shooter. This is not a guy that had one foot in and one foot out. This was a devoted man to Jesus Christ. He had placed every bit of his life into the hands of Jesus and followed him for all those years. And what I'm getting at is this. Jesus failed him. Oh, Jesus didn't really fail him. But I would suggest that that's what he's going through, that Jesus failed him. He failed him. How did he fail him? I put my trust in Jesus. He was the Messiah. He was supposed to come into Jerusalem and kick out the Romans and, and establish his kingdom on earth. And, and, and I saw the miracles and I knew it was him. And he had placed all his proverbial eggs in that basket and Jesus died. And then maybe, perhaps, and I'm not being emphatic about this, I'm just suggesting it, Maybe Thomas was dealing with the fact that he felt like Jesus failed him. Again, he didn't fail him. Jesus he had a bigger plan that he was working out. Thomas didn't see that bigger plan. Um, Jesus was, was um, not uh, failing Thomas. He was just doing things differently. Listen, this might be important for somebody to hear. Jesus was just playing things out differently than what Thomas expected. And you guys, this is important because there's a lot of us out there that sometimes feel like Jesus or God has failed us. And we say, I'm not gonna believe. I'm not gonna trust. The word believe means trust. I'm not gonna trust God anymore. Why? He failed me. Has God ever failed anyone? No. But he's done things that we like don't understand. And listen, there's been times when God will do things and there'll be times in the future when God does things and what we view as God not coming through is really God just didn't live up to our expectation of how we wanted it to be done. This is where faith kicks in. And I'm not saying it's easy, but you see what Thomas's whole world had crumbled, all of his expectations and hopes gone. He just didn't understand what God was doing and his expectations were shattered. Jesus didn't do what he was going to do, the way that Thomas thought he should do it. And that could be a very, very dangerous place to be. And I'm going to encourage you, you know, maybe you're in that place where you were once walking with God, you were close to God, but you feel like God failed you. I want to encourage you. And maybe it sounds harsh, but I want to encourage you. God has not failed you. On this side of heaven, you just don't understand. His ways are not our ways. And maybe for some of you, if, you're, if we're just brutally honest, it's really, the issue really is that Jesus just didn't do things the way you wanted him to. And that can be hard to swallow, but I think it's important. Jesus <laughs> hasn't failed. Maybe, maybe that loved one died. Maybe your health is failing and the, the doctor said cancer. Or maybe you're actually dealing with COVID-19. Maybe the relationship fell apart. Maybe the business is, you know, the business went bankrupt or maybe whatever it is, the child 
died. Or, and you say, how could God, God? This is where we have to just say, God is good. And even though I don't understand why he allowed this to happen in my life, I am going to trust him. Whatever the case with Thomas, maybe it was purely skepticism. Maybe it was coming from more of a place of the heart, not the head, a place of a wounded soldier. Nonetheless, his response was, I'm not going to believe unless I see it for myself. Well, let's wrap this baby up. Verse 26, eight days later, the disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them this time. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So kind of a carbon copy of the last, you know, the previous week, doors locked, they're all huddled together. This time Thomas is there, being Jesus is in their presence. He says, peace uh, be with you. And then notice this, Jesus came, he stood among them, he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. How dramatic is this scene? I mean, just this really happened. Like, picture this. They're all in the room together. They're talking about Jesus, and bam, Jesus shows up. Peace be with you guys. And then, I don't know if there was like a long dramatic pause. I don't know if he just like did a turn or whatever, but he just goes, and he looks right at Thomas and says, Thomas, why don't you stretch your hand out and touch my scar? And he uses the exact language that Thomas had said a week earlier. I bet you that got Thomas's attention because all of a sudden he realizes, you heard me. You heard me say that. How frightening is that for Thomas? By the way, it made me think of like, you know, Jesus heard Thomas's words of unbelief. And now he's gonna give him a little mild rebuke and we'll talk about that in a second. But I was a little convicted by that, honestly. Because there's times where what comes out of my mouth, I'm kind of ashamed of it in the sense of like questioning God's faithfulness. I don't know if God's gonna come through. I don't know. And, and it kind of humbled me when I read this that, you know, Jesus hears that. And, and I don't wanna have him show up and say, oh, really? Did you really need me to do this or do that? And anyways, I was just very humbled by the way that he appeared to Thomas. So he says this to Thomas. Hey, Thomas, put your fingers out. Touch my side. Now look at the, the um, response of Thomas. Classic. He says, um, oh, actually, excuse me, uh, before I get to that, Jesus' mild rebuke, he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. A couple other versions of that. Um, in uh, the NIV, it says, stop doubting. Um, in the in New Living Translation, he says, um, be faithless no longer. Here's what I love about Jesus at this, at this moment with Thomas. It's kind of a, I mean, I can envision all the other people kind of like eyes wide open, like, watching Jesus deal with Thomas on this issue. He's mildly rebuking him. I don't think he's saying it in an angry way, like, Thomas, here's my scar, touch him, you, you know, unbelieving. I don't think there was that tone in Jesus's voice, nor do I think it was snarky, like, here's my scars, touch him if you want to, you know. I think Jesus was very mild. I think Jesus was very loving, but he was also very direct, and he didn't let him off the hook. In fact, I did a little research on the way that Jesus said this. Did you know that Jesus, when he said, um, you know, don't be unbelieving, but believe, he said it in the present middle imperative with a negative participle. So clearly you see where I'm going with this. Let me translate. What that means is this. Those uh, things put together literally mean 
he's communicating to stop an act that is currently in process. Let me dumb it down even more. Jesus basically says, stop it. Stop it. Stop unbelieving. Thomas, it's almost like, and I don't want to read my view into this too much, but it's almost like Jesus is saying, Thomas, stop it. You have all the evidence you need. You need to believe. And by believing, he's saying, you need to trust me. Stop with the excuses. Stop with your pity party. And trust me. Believe me. And, and guys, again, I, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord, but I, I do feel that for some, that's, that's a word for somebody. Stop with the excuses. Maybe somebody's been sharing Christ with you. And you've got all your excuses and you've got all your list of, of, of objections to why you got, there can't be God. And this. Listen, I'll say this. Number one, there are great answers for every one of your questions. But the, the real question is, what if you get all your questions answered? You see, so often it's not even about those objections. It's about the heart. It's about an unwillingness to just surrender and trust God. And if that's you tonight, I want to say boldly, but it's easy to be bold when you're talking to a camera. I want to say to you, listen, stop it. Put your trust in Jesus. He is risen from the dead. We have his word. We have the empty tomb. And there's millions and millions of witnesses to the fact that Christ is real. Christ is risen. And I would encourage you to (laughs) stop it. Put your faith in Jesus tonight. And then others, maybe you're already a believer and I've already alluded to this, but maybe, maybe you, were, you were walking closely at one time, maybe you were all in, but you've just stopped trusting God for who knows how many reasons and you have all your excuses and all of your whatever. Maybe the Lord's saying to you tonight, stop it, stop it. Put your trust in me, trust me, trust me. And then let's move on, we're almost done. Thomas's response to that was this, <laughs> and it's simple, but it's wonderful. He says, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. He just falls down. He doesn't say that he fell down. He says he answered him, but it, I wonder if he just fell down at his feet. He just said, my Lord, my God. You know, I don't think Thomas ever doubted again. We don't have a lot of church history on him. A lot of records were destroyed from my understanding in regards to his life, but we do know that he went through Iran, Persia, and then down into India, and he lost his life in India. He was um, stuck through with a spear, I think, while he was praying, but he took the gospel to India. This is a man that, after this scene, just went for it for the Lord and didn't look back. He was all in. Well, Jesus responds to his response, and this is where we'll end. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. That's a very curious thing for Jesus to say. Blessed, he says, look, Thomas, did you believe because you saw me? He says, he pronounces this blessing. He says, blessed are those who have believed without seeing, who have not seen and yet they still believe in me. You know, I like that because that's me. 
Like, that's you. If, if you're a believer in Christ, you, unless he's come to you in a vision or something, I've never seen Jesus, but I believe in him. And, and millions and millions and millions of others like me, we have put our faith in Christ. Peter says, you know, in First Peter, though he had seen Jesus, he's talking to the, the people he's writing to, and he says, you know, though we haven't seen him, we love him. Do you realize that we love somebody, we're trusting somebody, we are living for somebody we haven't even seen yet? But there's a blessedness to that. Why? Because though I don't see him, I know he's real. I know he's alive. I know he's with me. I know his word is true. I talk to him. I live with him. I enjoy him every single day of my life. And there's coming a day when I either die and go to him or he takes me up in the rapture to be with him that I'm going to see him face to face and eye to eye. Actually more like eye to foot. I'm gonna be on my face right in front of him. But there is a blessedness to those who that without seeing put their faith in him. And one last application and we'll be done. I like that when he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Remember the word believe means at its core to trust, to lean on something with all your weight. Blessed is the man or the woman who trusts the Lord without seeing. Here he's talking about seeing with the physical eyes, but the Bible also talks about seeing with our mind. The eyes are kind of like linked to this idea of understanding. And I couldn't help but think of that classic verse as, a, as we come to an end here that where Jesus, or not Jesus, but the Proverbs say, um, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. And I just wanna encourage you tonight as we wrap up, listen, there's a blessing to those who trust the Lord even though they don't see or understand what's happening. I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know what area of your life where you're being forced into faith, where you've got to trust him. But I want to encourage you to do just that without understanding. When we understand, oh, it's easy to trust, but when we don't understand and we still say, I'm going to trust you, God, that's faith. Okay, listen, listen. A lot of times when we say, oh, I'm just trusting the Lord, I'm believing the Lord, what we're really saying is, I'm believing him or trusting him to do what I want in the way that I want him to do it. But real trust is this. When you say, trusting the Lord, and whether it works out the way I want it to, or think it should, or if I like it, or if I don't like it, I'm still gonna trust him because I know he's got my best interest in mind because he's loved me, he gave his life for me on the cross, and I'm just gonna put my trust fully in him. Amen? Amen. Well, I just again, you know, tonight if you find yourself in a crisis of faith, you're in good company. Uh, Thomas and countless others, we've gone through these times in our lives of fear, frustration, anxiety. And I wanna encourage you, trust the Lord. He's trustworthy. You may not see or understand what's happening. He's got you. He's with you. He's gonna see you through. If you feel a little rebuked tonight, all right, whatever. Thomas was too. It came, comes out of a place of love from our Lord. And uh, just pray that God meets you in a real special way tonight as we put our trust in him. Amen? All right, let's pray. We'll get out of here. Father, thank you so much for your word. And right now, I just want to lift up any who are maybe identifying with Thomas, either from the skeptic angle or from the wounded soldier angle. And I just want to pray, God, that we would hear you say, Blessed are those who trust without seeing, without understanding. Father, I pray for those who maybe feel let down or like you've even failed them. I pray, God, you would just remind them 
that there's things that you know that we don't know. That you're much bigger and larger than the circumstances we understand. That your love for us doesn't change. That you always have our best interest in mind. And Lord, help us when we don't see, we don't understand. Help us to just trust you. We love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys tonight.